A new study shows that one in four teenage girls has a sexually transmitted disease. Does this mean we need more condom education? We'll ask an expert. And should we eliminate God from societal decisions? We'll ask the author of a book entitled, Dissing God. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. I commit to vetoing every single bill that has a pork barrel or earmark project on it. That's GOP presidential candidate John McCain at a campaign rally in Pennsylvania. He has made earmarks one of his signature campaign issues. He says if he is elected president, he will block any legislation that's loaded with these pork barrel projects. And, of course, earmarks are uh, money that is uh, targeted directly toward a senator or congressman's home state district. Uh, it's been uh, something that has been debated in Congress. Actually, the tremendous earmark spending has been uh, targeted as one of the things that actually defeated Republicans in 2006. Last night, there was a late-night session on earmarks debating a moratorium on them. Texas Senator John Cornyn actually co-sponsored that uh, moratorium. Texas Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison voted against it. She also applauds its defeat. Now, on Capitol Hill, John McCain again chiding lawmakers who voted against this moratorium. We found out tonight that there's only one place in America that doesn't get it about wasteful earmark pork barrel spending and how this process has deteriorated to the point where we won't even stake a stand for a pause, for a time out on pork barrel spending. Congress is dealing with the economy. They're passing a budget that lets most of the Bush, uh, the Bush tax cuts expire. And of course, this moratorium on earmarks failed. We're going to talk about the economy a little bit later and discuss a little politics. Lots of people are discussing the VP calculus, the VEEP calculus, a Hillary-Obama ticket. Uh, What about the reverse? Could that even happen? Uh, We will talk about it later. We'll take your calls. Also, we're going to talk with an author who says it's impossible for our government to be religiously neutral. The political correctness police are not going to like what he has to say. His book is called Dissing God, and uh, Wallace Alzer will join us a little bit later. But there's another story out there this week that I have been wanting to discuss. And uh, the fact that the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has come out with new research, it's really pretty disturbing. One in four 
teenage girls has a sexually transmitted infection. And Dr. Sarah Foran, who is a researcher for the National Centers for Disease Control, says that at least one, she she basically reiterated the results of this study and uh, talked about its ramifications. This is the first time that, um, that we have a clear picture to date of the overall burden of sexually transmitted infections in adolescents because this is a group of four of the most common STDs. Excuse me. It's not good news. Dr. Foran listed these four diseases, the most commonly transmitted, sexually transmitted diseases. Human papillomavirus, or HPV, <laughs> chlamydia, herpes simplex virus type 2, uh, and trichomoniasis. Now, chlamydia, chlamydia and trichomoniasis can be treated with antibiotics. HPV cannot. And, of course, we've talked at other times about this vaccine. And uh, Dr. Foran said that the STDs carry some long-term health ramifications. Pelvic inflammatory disease, which can lead to an ectopic pregnancy or infertility in the future. Um, cervical cancer or, uh, or increased uh, H- HIV risk. So uh, some pretty bad ramifications long-term for girls, and I think this is uh, disturbing and needs to be discussed. You know, what does this mean in terms of our sex education? We've talked on this program about the fact that abstinence funding is up under President Bush, but uh, it's certainly not near the level of other type of sex uh, education funding. It's not the primary message that kids are getting. So with us to talk about this is Linda Klopecki. She is sexual health analyst for Focus on the Family. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me today, Penna. Linda, can you tell us any more about this study? Well, it's an interesting study because um, there are numbers in here that we have seen for many years or else it is getting worse and worse and worse. And we say that one in four teenage American girls has a sexually transmitted disease. We've actually seen that all the way back into the 90s. We've seen that number. And I've gone back as far as 1991 and looked at CDC data on how many teens have sexually transmitted diseases. Back to 91 to 1997, we had 3 million cases in uh, guys and gals, and now we have 3 million cases only in American girls. So what we're seeing is the cases of sexually transmitted diseases rising continually for at least 17 years. Okay, now this has been all during the time when we've had condom education. Yeah. Uh, we've been telling people, uh, young, young people, how to prevent pregnancy. But a condom doesn't always prevent a sexually transmitted disease, does it? You're absolutely right. Um, 75% of our sex education in this country is condom-only education. Only 25% is abstinence education. Uh, the best-case scenario with condoms is with HIV. It protects approximately 85% of the time if it's used every time and completely correctly. Now, for other sexually transmitted infections, we only have a 50% decrease with the use of condoms, and that's if they're used 100% of the time and 100% correctly. So uh, 
And uh, then you have to put on top of that. And we're talking to teenagers here. We're talking to teenagers here expecting them to use things correctly. That's right. That's right, Penna. And we've had so much brain research done in the last few years showing that teens um, have an extremely difficult time doing anything consistently because of their brain growth, because they are not adults even in their brain growth. And so... Um, it's very difficult for teens, even if they're taught and taught and taught how to use them and when to use them, for them to actually use them 100% of the time. Linda Klopecki is with me. She's with Focus on the Family. We're talking about this new study out uh, from the CDC saying that one in 14 girls has an STD. This is heartbreaking because, uh, Linda, what this means is sterility in some of these cases uh, and just problems that are just irritating uh, that sometimes are lifelong, don't go away in some cases, sometimes even cancer, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. When we're talking about chlamydia being one of the top four um, most common sexually transmitted in teen girls, chlamydia usually coexists with gonorrhea, and all we need are four untreated infections of those two bacteria, and we have a a gal who's 100% sterile. And so, yes, very serious consequences. Herpes, of course, is lifelong. HPV can lead to cervical cancer, and then herpes can increase HIV risk. Okay, now in the state of Texas, for many years, uh, we've had this battle over sex ed. And we have a fairly strong law here in Texas that says that abstinence should be taught at the forefront as the only way to prevent pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. But even in states like Texas, this this gets watered down, Linda. And uh, in other states, it's even worse, isn't it? Well, it, it certainly is. And when, when um, people, especially at the STD conference, through uh, what has come out, at least in the press, keep calling it abstinence only, what do they mean by that? Because abstinence um, education is the type of sex education that talks about condoms and how protective they are and how risky they are to be using. And so if you're going to use a condom, these kids need to know that they're at best 50% uh, decreasing their chances of getting the most common sexually transmitted infections. Um, again, HIV is, um, has the best rate of protection, but HIV is not the most common by any means of sexually transmitted infection in the United States. Yeah, we're not seeing uh, HIV mentioned in this study. We're seeing other diseases. Okay, Linda, also, uh, we were critical of our governor in Texas last year because he uh, put out this really sort of mandate that ended up being reversed by the legislature that said young girls had to get this HI, uh, this HPV vaccine, human papillomavirus. So is, is this study, does this uh, show... Uh, perhaps that he was correct, even though a lot of people were upset with him? Focus on the family has been uh, behind the HPV vaccine from the very beginning. We have encouraged um, the use of it, saying that, you know, it has a possibility of lowering the uh, cervical cancer rate. However, our concern with your then-governor's request or edict was that he was forcing parents into making that decision. We would like every parent to be able to make their own decisions about their own family. So if they choose to vaccinate their young 
their young girls and their family, um, we support them. If they decide not to vaccinate, we support them also, because this really is a family decision. There's this assumption, I think, uh, in uh, some of our bureaucracies, educational and other, that uh, we just need to assume that our young uh, teenagers are going to be sexually active. And I think uh, parents were very upset that that assumption was being made. It was sort of taking parents out of the equation. So what about that? Does our sex ed assume sexual activity? And should we you know, make a change in that assumption? Well, it not only assumes sexual activity, but it encourages sexual activity. And what we need to do, especially as parents, is to take the definition of sexual activity and really broaden it. Uh, because much of our data and much of our understanding is with uh, sexual intercourse. But teens are in a lot of other sexual behaviors that perhaps they don't call sex themselves. Like Bill, like Bill Clinton didn't call it sex? Ex- you're exactly right. And, but those behaviors can still spread sexually transmitted infections. So we have to be careful of our definition, and we as parents need to make sure that we educate ourselves about sexually transmitted infections and then talk to our ch- own children about all different kinds of sexual activity uh, because it is really a much broader term than we most most likely think about in our own minds. We're so grateful uh, to Linda Klapecki for being with us today. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to continue this discussion with you into the next segment. Give us a call. The number is 800-881-9270. And give us some of your strategies for helping your teens through this whole area of sexuality, avoiding pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. Do you think this is the role of the school or is this the role of the family? Linda, one more quick answer, because this is my philosophy, and that is, We need as parents to let our kids know what we expect of them. A lot of parents are afraid to talk to their kids about sex. What do you think? Oh, gosh. I I think you're absolutely right on both counts. Um, We need to be talking to our children um, from the time they're little tiny toddlers and asking questions about sex and sexuality, which will be very innocent questions, um, all the way through adulthood. And we, we see by research study after research study that although it doesn't look like it, our teens listen to us as parents the most of anyone in their environment. And even though teenagers have a hard time showing us that they're listening or that they care um, that we're talking to them, they really do care. We, we have proven that over and over again over the years. So, yes, we need to be talking to our kids about what we expect of them because that, that talking to them about that actually does lower the risk of them becoming sexually active as a teenager. They really do care what we think. Linda Klepecki, Focus on the Family, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, give us a call, 800-881-9270. Uh, what do you do with your teenagers dealing with this subject. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Our economy obviously is going through a tough time. It's going through a tough time in the housing market, and it's going through a tough time in the financial markets. That's President Bush. He was speaking to the Economic Club of New York today. And, of course, he also warned that the government should not overdo intervention. And uh, speaking of the economy, Congress also working on the budget, which is a blueprint for spending $3 trillion worth. And guess what? The Bush tax cuts didn't quite make the cut. That's a big signal that if nothing changes, they will actually be allowed to expire, and uh, that's not good for the economy. Right now, though, we're talking about our kids, and uh, we're talking about sex ed, what needs to be done in the home, what needs to be done in the school, what kind of message are we sending our kids, and what can really parents do to keep their kids uh, to remain pure in their sexual activity. Let's go to Dawn in Arlington. Dawn, thanks for calling in. Thank you. Um, the main thing I wanted to say, I'm not personally a parent, but I ha- I did make it through my teenage years. Um, and having been raised in the church, Did you make it through your teenage years remaining sexually pure? Um, until 18. Okay. So, no, I would say no. Um, but I really felt that, I really feel that children um, are being done a disservice if they don't learn anything about sexual education as opposed to just purely abstinence because um, our church, we didn't have to go to the sexual education courses in school because we got letters from our church. Mm-hmm. So we were only taught abstinence because, I mean, of course, that's the only way is to be safe, is to be abstinent, to be pleasing to God, is to be abstinent. But the we were done a disservice because we didn't know the negative ramifications that would happen if, you know, if you did partake in those, you know, sins. So you didn't, uh, you didn't learn, for instance, that uh, condoms can fail like 50% no, of the time? No, we were like not that. taught anything. And I mean, I'm from, you know, a small town, but we didn't have to go any, to anything like that. We just learned, you know, merely the biblical aspect of it. And you just, and you just decided not to totally take that advice after age 18. Um, yeah, I mean, you fall, children, they fall in, you know, with the wrong crowd and you, you don't, you're not in the church scene anymore. It just, things change, especially in those turbulent years when things, things at home aren't necessarily the greatest for the children, you know? Okay, Dawn, I will, I, I actually, uh, believe and agree with you that, uh, there needs to be some education about, um, birth control, especially the failure rates. I think that's important. Uh, and I encourage you, though, uh, to continue until you're married uh, to, you know, you can you can kind of get a secondary virginity. Definitely. Uh, and because that's definitely the safest way. It's also the way that, you know, of God, that God, uh, you know, he's interested not so much in preventing pregnancy, but uh, in your purity and, and just... Uh, 
that kind of a, a relationship that you can have with your husband someday uh, where true. sex is involved and, you know, not not outside of marriage. So uh, I appreciate your calling in and giving your opinion. And, you know, I really, I like the fact that, or not the fact, I like the idea that most of sex education would be done in the home. That's not really the way it's done right now. And so, you know, you have to trust the schools to send the right message, and I'm not always sure they do. Let's go to Mark in Dallas. Mark, what do you think? Hello, Mark. Are you there? I am. Okay. I would like to, uh, I would hope that our children are taught sex education, things about sex in school, even more than they are now, because in my opinion, the more that we discuss these things in the class, the less the subject seems taboo and secretive and unknowable, and the more that we just get kids accustomed to talking about it without any feelings of discomfort, and I mean Talk about any aspect of it. No hold bars. Are you a teacher? I am not. No topic. Uh, no topic should be off limits. And the more that kids feel that way, that uh, that way about the subject of sex, the more apt they are to ask us questions and feel comfortable about asking questions, and expect us we can talk freely about it. Back are you Are you a dad, Mark? Pardon me. Are you a dad? Yes. Okay, so you think a more open discussion in the school actually would facilitate more open discussion at home with parents, too? Absolutely, with no hold bar. I mean, I don't Okay, let me just ask you a question because we've got other callers. It might be outside of our church. I just want the kids to have access to information of any sort. Okay, what would you say to your daughter? She uh, came to you and was considering having sex with her boyfriend. Okay, but and tell me, you know, you're going to say that. And you're asking me that to relate that to sex education? How, no, how would you advise her? Because part of sex education is, abs- is, is abstinence education. So how would you advise your daughter? How would, my advice to her would be that, you know, be sure that uh, you are in love with that person and to make sure that if you engage in sex that it is protected. Okay. So sex outside of marriage would be okay with you, even if it's your daughter? Sex okay, to me, sex outside of marriage is not a matter of being okay or not okay, because sex outside of marriage is occurring no matter what we think, no matter how, what we think, it's going to occur. I'm talking about your daughter. You wouldn't yeah, advise her daughter, to save sex, sex for marriage? Sex marriage is going to occur no matter what I think. If okay, you are, you, are you a Christian? The marriage is going to occur, yes. Are you an evangelical Christian? Do you read your Bible? No. Okay. All right, Mark, thank you. I appreciate your opinion. And, I, you know, this is what is out there, ladies and gentlemen. Folks who are just assuming, as I, I discussed with Linda Klopecki, a focus on the family, that uh, young people are having sex, which they are. He's right. Uh, but as a parent, I think it's important for us to let them know what we think. And if we think they shouldn't be doing so, which is something that's biblical to save sex for marriage, uh, then we should let them know that. We should not be afraid to let them know that. And these discussions in school uh, are not letting them know that for the most part. Okay, let's go back to the phones and speak with Nora in Rockwall. Nora, thanks for calling in. Hi, Pena. Thank you. I just wanted to um, just give a comment in regards to to what it's being talked about. And what we've had, I guess you could say, in our church 
is that there were several parents who had come to me personally uh, when it first started and them asking for assistance in regards to what could be done because um, they have noticed of what was going on, I guess, with their daughters um, in regards to maybe starting to become sexually active. Mm -hmm. And we actually have the privilege at church to have um, a lady there who, who attends and who is a nurse or actually a doctor. And we decided back then to go ahead and do um, like um, purity classes. Uh, you have probably heard of the True Love Way yes. campaign. So we kind of adopted. Now parents are involved campaign. in that because parents give their children some sort of a ring. Yes, and there's that's there's an agreement. And that is correct, and and we also they were involved and and they knew everything that was going to be talked about before we even started talking to the to the girls about it because we basically wanted them to understand that it was going to be very open communication. Uh, everything was going to be exposed to them in regards to the um, sexually transmitted diseases, in regards to, I, I mean, just basically anything and everything that they wanted to talk about um, so that they would understand that according to the Bible, um, you know, we we need to be abstinent until marriage because that's what the Bible teaches us. And I think that that's what helped a lot in regards to these teachings that we had with the girls was because we not only talked to them about, um, you know, what what's going on uh, in the world about the sexually transmitted diseases and all of that, but we also were able to bring um, messages from the Bible so that they would see what Jesus thinks about that. Nora, thanks um, so much for your call. This is a church program. Uh, this is the church and the parents getting involved uh, just uh down at the bottom level, speaking with these kids. And, you know, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 says that it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman who is not his wife. And, of course, there's all kinds of prohibitions uh, throughout uh, the Bible about fornication. And, uh, you know, this is the way to live. And I think we've gotten away from that in this culture, even in the church sometimes. We're looking the other way. And uh, I think we're the last place that should be looking the other way. We need to be uh, holding up a standard. Let's go to Lisa now. Lisa, thanks for calling. Hi, how are you? First Great. of all, I want to let you know that I applaud everything that you're saying. And um, I, I appreciate you having this topic on. Um, just want to also say that for the HPV vac- or virus, um, you can get that, uh, that disease without actually having sex. Right. Skin-on-skin contact. Right, and the condom doesn't protect all the areas where it can be transmitted. Exactly, and that's one thing that I think a lot of people need to realize. Um, That's why abstinence is so important. And not only with diseases, but there are a lot of other things that go, that happen when you have sex outside of marriage. Thank Um, you very much, Lisa. You know, low self-esteem, you know, just it it, um, affects your relationship with God in a negative way, and I think people need to understand that. And, um, you know, the STDs that uh, the young people and a lot of other people um, in our society are getting it because um, it's a consequence. 
of them, you know, stepping outside of the will of God. Thanks for bringing all of that up, especially the emotional consequences of premarital sex. It's not just the physical consequences. Uh, It's not just pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. There's a bond that occurs uh, with this physical relationship. And uh, I think parents that have seen a breakup of a couple uh, of teenagers who have been sexually active know how much that worse that often is than one where they've remained pure. Uh, So that's just another reason to uh, help our children through these years. Keep the lines of communication open, yes. As a matter of fact, it's very important to do that between parent and child. Well, next up, we are going to talk with an author who's written a book called Dissing God. Is America a theistic nation? We allow all religions to flourish, but is Christianity the main thing and should it be? That's next on Jerry Johnson Live. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. The reality is, the First Amendment protects the right of Christians and all other religious folks, uh, and, and in this case, religious students, to express their religious point of view on campus. Well, speaking of kids in school, uh, this story is out of Spokane, Washington, and that was Jeremy Tedesco of the Alliance Defense Fund. Uh, he's talking about a case in Washington and uh, school officials actually refused to honor the rights of Christian students who wanted to assemble on campus during non-instructional time uh, and pray. And this is the East Valley School District, and uh, they were denied access. Of course, Alliance Defense Fund took up their case. Jeremy Tedesco, uh, legal counsel there at ADF, says this uh, school district is denying Christian students rights because they are Christians. key to the case is that, that Christians have the same constitutional rights as everyone else. Uh, and that they shouldn't be penalized for expressing their religious beliefs. That's exactly what the school district's doing in this case. So Christians should not be discriminated against uh, based on their beliefs. That's sort of foundational in our Constitution and our government. Uh, What happened is in December 2007, a student at East Valley High School uh, identified as AL, attempted to meet with about four other students during this non-instructional time for discussion, prayer, and fasting. The student's career services room is open three days a week during the lunch period to meet and assemble for any kind of discussion. Uh, but I guess prayer was uh, forbu- forbidden. Jeremy Tedesco of ADF says the Washington School District is denying these students their rights The school district runs into the First Amendment and ultimately violates the First Amendment when they exclude religious students uh, from being able to participate in the forum and discuss the same topics all these other students are talking about. Well, ADF will win this in the courts. Uh, They're very successful in uh, helping these uh, students and others across the country to deal with uh, this sort of religious uh, in a sense, I call it persecution. But, you know, the question we're asking, is America a theistic nation? I mean, we say that we're a pluralistic society and we allow all religions to flourish, but are we at the bottom, at the root, at the foundation, uh, a Christian nation, a theistic society? And with us to discuss this is the author of an interesting titled book, Dissing God, The Myth of Religious Neutrality in a Secular Progressive Culture. He is Wallace Auser, and uh, he is a resident of upstate New York. He graduated from Cornell and also the College of William and Mary Law School. He's been practicing law. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Auser. Well, thank you. Uh, it's nice to be on the show. 
All right. Uh, I, I read in your book that you believe we are a theistic society still. Uh, tell us why you think that. Well, I think we are because uh, our founding documents uh, refer to it. Uh, the Declaration of Independence uh, says that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, uh, and that the, the origin of those rights is from God. And one of those rights uh, is the, the right to be governed by our own consent, which is what the whole foundation of a, a democratic republic is. And uh, that's not to say that all the founders had the same religious beliefs. They didn't. Um, but there was some common ground uh, that was a theistic common ground. And some of them were Christians, uh, definitely. Okay, uh, we're in a political campaign right now, and <laughs> there's this futile and I would say really impossible attempt by some politicians to just say, oh, we need to keep religion out of it. Well, that's not happening this time, obviously. Uh, but it's not possible, is it? No, I don't think it is. Uh, and I think that uh, any attempt to do that simply ends up discriminating against a particular religion and favors other worldviews, such as secularism. And secularism is no different than a theistic worldview from an intellectual point of view. It just has a very different basic assumption. Uh, And uh, every time people have tried to, uh, quote-unquote, make uh, society religiously neutral, they end up discriminating against, usually it's theism and Christianity in particular. Uh, you know, uh, the religious right, of course, has been making the argument for years that Christian principles, biblical principles, are appropriate in government, especially to do things like protect the sanctity of life, to stop the advancing homosexual agenda. Are there other areas, uh, and also to protect religious freedom, as we've been talking about, but what about some of the other areas? Because there are folks calling for expanding the agenda of the religious right to things like poverty. So is that appropriate? Well, I think that uh, I think what somebody has to do if they if they want to examine that uh, is to is to look at the fundamental principles behind that. I mean, the question is not should people care about poor people. Of course, they should. The question is whether the government should and what that role should be. Uh, should that role include redistributing wealth, where we take money away from person A and give it to person B? Um, I think that uh, it's certainly open to discussion. Uh, but I think it would be highly debatable to uh, um, uh, to be able to uh, uh, say that uh, uh, you, know, you know that it's something that you have to do if you're uh, or else you're not a Christian, quote unquote. I guess I and, could add uh, to that the issue of global warming because Christians are weighing in on that now, and I think in a sense. Uh, you know, you could end up hurting the poor through advocating government solutions. Well, yes. I mean, one perfect example is uh, this whole idea of ethanol. It's, uh, ethanol is, is highly subsidized, and so what have people done? They've, they've stopped growing wheat. They've started growing corn. Corn's become more expensive, and so it's hurt the poor countries in Latin America whose uh, um, subsistence is corn-based. And in Tibet, it's also raised the price of wheat, so it raises the price of bread. And, uh, you know, it's an example of not thinking about the ramifications ahead of time. You know, we've been talking about sexual issues on this program, and uh, Wallace Auser is with me. His book is Dissing God. And, of course, these are important issues for Christians. Uh, and we think that the sexual degradation in the culture is partially responsible for just some of the problems we're having um, across the culture. So how important is it to continue to try to uphold absolute moral values in terms of sexuality and homosexuality? 
Well, I think it's important because it goes to our essence as human beings. Uh, you know, sexual uh, activity is not just a physical activity. Uh, it, you know, it is uh, sublime sensuality, as I like to call it. Uh, when we talk about sexual intercourse, it's an exchange, it's a knowing. That's the biblical term that, uh, uh, that they use for it, because it's a very intimate uh, and a very, uh, also a very erotic, uh, uh, but uh, it, uh, when we degrade it, uh, you know, then we make it pornographic. And, that, and when we degrade one aspect of our activity, we degrade ourselves as human beings. And I think this is what the, you see when people, uh, 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 well, like what happened in the, with the governor of New York. I mean, it was uh, two things, adultery and uh, prostitution. And uh, it, you know, it goes to how uh, our attitude is towards the essence of people. Um, Wallace Alzer, uh, how do you hope people will use your book? Because there are a lot of books out there about the separation of church and state, how that's a myth, for instance. You're saying religious neutrality in culture is a myth. So how do you hope this will inform people who are uh, active citizens, people that want to be active in the culture and in politics? Well, I hope that it will give them tools so that they can hold their own in the debate. When somebody tells them, hey, you can't bring your religious ideas into uh, the town hall meeting, or you can't bring your ideas uh, into the legislative body, that we can... Um, uh, that this book will give them uh, the ability to respond into, uh, intellectually and so that they can show the, that that position is just indefensible. In this country, we do allow, as I said earlier, all religions, people to practice whatever religion they want. And so, you know, that comes to the point now where a lot of people are saying, well, then you can't criticize Islam. And yet, if we don't, we're going to end up like Europe, where they're now battling this whole idea of a parallel Sharia law system. So, how do we how do we deal with that subject? Well, I think we have to recognize that uh, that uh, one, you know, we don't regulate ideas; we regulate actions, and uh, we regulate actions based upon fundamental ideas. Uh, so that there, there is a relationship there. But if somebody doesn't want to adhere to our principles, they don't have to live in this country. Uh, we can't accommodate uh, all different uh, ideas. Uh, all we can do is to accommodate uh, laws that are, are justified by our founding principles. Uh, and uh, to the extent that you have somebody coming in here and saying, hey, we're going to set up a, a separate system of law, we're going to call it Sharia, and so we want to live in your society, but we want an exemption. And uh, you know, they want to set up their own little government inside ours. Well, if they want to do that, what's the sense of living here? <laughs> fascinating book, uh, Wallace. Thank you so much for joining me. I wish we could talk a little bit longer, but we're about done with the segment. But uh, thanks for joining me today, and uh, I wish you all the best with this book. I I highly recommend it. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and and, uh, I've enjoyed uh, enjoyed it very much. That's Wallace Alzer. His book is uh, Dissing God, the Myth of Religious Neutrality in a Secular, Secular Progressive Culture. He answers the question, or ask the question, why eliminate God from society's everyday decisions? You shouldn't do that, he says, and he gives a great argument in many areas. Why not? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to give some program notes for next week, Resurrection Week, and we're going to talk about the resurrection 
throughout the week in various segments. We'll have Richard Balcom, professor of New Testament at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, joining us. We'll have Ben Witherington, professor of New Testament interpretation at Asbury Theological Seminary. He's one of the foremost New Testament scholars in the world. We will also have the Bible Answer Man, Hank Hanegraaff talking with us one day, and Daryl Bach, who is a great apologist uh, here at Dallas Seminary, and we've had him in the studio, and he will be in studio also next week, so we hope that you will join us every day for all of those. And uh, I also do want to mention that next segment, uh, we are going to begin a series of discussions, this will be the first, with local pastors and leaders who are Criswell College graduates uh, next up, Jeff Campbell, pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in Dallas, will be featured. Stay with us for that interview. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. There are some pastors and leaders in our community you may not know are actually Criswell alumni. Now our uh, producer and correspondent, Andrew Abair spoke with one of them. Uh, he is Pastor Jeff Campbell of Bethany Baptist Church. Here's that interview. My guest is Jeff Campbell. He is a Criswell College graduate. He has two degrees from this institution. He has a BA in Biblical Studies, and he has uh, finished all the coursework for a, a master's degree here at Criswell. Uh, he is now currently pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Jeff, you're one of the first interviews we're going to be doing with uh, several Criswell alumni, just to kind of figure out where you are, um, how Criswell has prepared you. So let's just start off by asking you, uh, what would you say to a, someone who's considering Criswell College as a prospective student? Uh, well, I would say that dollar for dollar, it's the best theological education you can get anywhere. I have seen students from many schools in my ministry endeavors, been to pastors' conferences, visited other schools before I came to Chriswell, 
And the level of scholarship here is second to none. Uh, The level of access to the professors is second to none, as well as a close community of uh, believers who are together. So you could potentially come to this school. You could know every student here. You could know every professor here. And more than that, you could have a relationship with them. So I think that's a huge benefit that Criswell has over many schools. Now, you have two degrees here. You're set to receive your second here in May. And uh, you're in ministry, active ministry, full-time ministry. How has the school particularly prepared you for your specific ministry where you are right now? Well, uh, Crystal College has really helped me to ground my theology. I mean, they definitely hold the Bible up as God's Word. The only rule of faith and practice that we should have is God's Word, and they give a good biblical foundation. They also help to cultivate a Christian worldview, which I know uh, Dr. Johnson, uh, the president of the school, is very active and adamant that the professors encourage the students to develop this Christian worldview, to think about things the way Christ thinks about things, to think about sin the way God thinks about sin, but also to love people the way God loves people. So I believe that the level of scholarship and what they did for me intellectually is a great thing. It's uh, grounded my faith, but you can get that a lot of places. What I really love about the school is that the professors aren't just intellectual. They are spiritual men who follow the Lord and teach that, and uh, they extend grace to students, and they really help you to cultivate a whole Christian worldview. Now, you're pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in Dallas, and uh, that's actually in the Pleasant Grove area, and it's a really unique spot of uh, ministry. I'm happy to say that my wife and I are members there and happy to be there. But tell us about uh, your church and your location. How are you ministering? Tell us about some of the the unique uh, aspects that you're really, uh, you know, just trying to do some innovative things to reach your community. Sure. Well, let me give you just a short background on the church. The church is about 55 years old. It was planted back in the 50s, really came into its own in the 60s. It um, was a huge church for its day and still is a strong church in the Pleasant Grove area. The Pleasant Grove area has had a transition. It's transitioned from pretty much middle-class white America to about 70% Hispanic, young Hispanic families with children, uh, about 15% African-American and 15% Anglo. And Bethany Baptist Church is endeavoring to work in the community to reflect those percentages, to basically reflect the community within our congregation. We are a multi-ethnic as well as multi-generational church. Some of the things we're doing to try to meet the needs of the community is that we are having an um, ESL class at the church, bringing people in, getting them more comfortable with English so they can find better jobs and help their families. We're also providing a GED class beginning April 2nd, where 55% of the people within a three-radio-mile area of the church do not have a high school diploma, and that's about 28,000 people. So we see that as a huge need in the community for people to come in, get prepared, go and take their high school equivalency. Now, y'all are, y'all are partnering with Eastfield College, is right, that right? Right, right. This is the same level of class that you would get if you went and enrolled at Eastfield College. As a matter of fact, technically, you will take the class on Bethany Baptist Church's campus, but you will be enrolled at Eastfield College, so you will be enrolled in their continuing education program. Uh, We are also providing child care for those activities. Most of these activities are going to center on our Wednesday night. We are doing a definite community focus on Wednesday nights. We have adult Bible studies then, as well as uh, children's Bible studies, children's grade choir. So we have something for any family, no matter what the makeup of the family might be, they can come and participate at Bethany Baptist Church. So we really feel that the needs of the community 
are not where we ought to stop, but they are at least where we ought to start. We ought to see what people need, what will improve their lives, and use that to build relationships with people. After we build those relationships and after we build a level of trust, then we're going to share the gospel of Christ with them, and we're going to hopefully see many people come to God's kingdom because of what we're doing there at Bethany. So that's a really unique, um, innovative, cutting-edge kind of ministry. My guest is Jeff Campbell. He's pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in Dallas, and he is a two-time Criswell graduate. And, Jeff, you have something special coming up in the church, and I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listeners about that invite them out uh, for it. All right. Last year, uh, we had a vision to do something special during the, the Passion Week, the week between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. And uh, this, week, this year, that will be March 17th through the 21st. That will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. And we will do our best to keep these services to one hour. But what I'm doing is I've invited men to come in and speak, and they're going to speak to the specific events that happened in Jesus' life on those specific days. So in that last week of his life, after, after he came in on Palm Sunday and when he was working in Jerusalem during that last week before he would go to the cross on Friday, we're going to talk about those things that he was doing, such as uh, clearing the temple, such as the betrayal of Judas, many different things, the Last Supper. And what our hope is and what, what I know the outcome will be is that it will give believer and non-believer alike a better understanding of the importance of the events of the last week of Jesus' life, as well as an understanding of his level of commitment to ministry that when he knew on Friday he was going to the cross— he was still ministering to people all during the week. So it'll be a wonderful time, about an hour each night. Every church is invited. Every person is invited. We'd love to pack the place out. We just want to celebrate and have a wonderful time and focus on the Lord. How can they find out? How can our listeners find out more information if they, if they are interested in going? Well, they can call the church office. Our number is 214-398-8403. There's someone there from 830 to 430 every day. You can go online to www.bbcdallas.org. Uh, you could even send an email to the church. There's an information link on there. Just send an email to the church, and it will come to me. And if you want more information or you want to say, I'm a pastor, I'm bringing 20 people from my church, uh, especially if you're going to come on Thursday night. Thursday night will be a special night as we celebrate Lord's Supper together. So if we could know how many people are coming, that would be great. If we don't, we'll react, and it won't be a problem. But for the pastors out there, listen, come and be a part of this and bring your people with you, and you are welcome at Bethany Baptist Church. Jeff Campbell, two-time Criswell College graduate, pastor of Bethany Baptist Church, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Here's what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That message is transmitted to the students here at the Criswell College. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.